0: chapter three part two of the life of harriet beecher stowe compiled from her letters and journals by her son charles edward stowe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three cincinnati eighteen thirty two through eighteen thirty six part two during this early cincinnati life harriet suffered much from ill health accompanied by great mental depression but in spite of both she labored diligently with her sister catherine in establishing their school they called it the western female institute and proposed to conduct it upon the college plan with a faculty of instructors as all these things are treated at length in letters written by mrs stowe to her friend miss georgiana may we cannot do better than turn to them in may eighteen thirty three she writes quote, bishop purcell visited our school to-day and expressed himself as greatly pleased that we had opened such an one here he spoke of my poor little geography Footnote this book was begun by mrs stowe during the summer of eighteen thirty two while visiting her brother william at newport rhode island it was completed during the winter of eighteen thirty three and published by the firm of corey fairbank and webster of cincinnati and, footnote. and thanked me for the unprejudiced manner in which i had handled the catholic question in it i was of course flattered that he should have known anything of the book how I wish you could see Walnut Hills. It is about two miles from the city, and the road to it is as picturesque as you can imagine a road to be without springs that run among the hills. Every possible variety of hill and vale, of beautiful slope, and undulations of land set off by velvet richness of turf and broken up by groves and forests of every outline of foliage, make the scene Arcadian you might ride over the same road a dozen times a day untired for the constant variation of view caused by ascending and descending hills relieves you from all tedium much of the wooding is beech of a noble growth the straight beautiful shafts of these trees as one looks up the cool green recesses of the woods seems as though they might form very proper columns for a dryad temple there katherine is growling at me for sitting up so late so adieu to music moonlight and hue i meant to tell you an abundance of classical things that i have been thinking to-night but woe is me since writing the above, my whole time has been taken up in the labor of our new school, or wasted in the fatigue and lassitude following such labor. Today is Sunday, and I am staying at home, because I think it is time to take some efficient means to dissipate the illness and bad feelings of diverse kinds that have for some time been growing upon me. At present there is and can be very little system or regularity about me. About half of my time I am scarcely alive, and a great part of the rest the slave and sport of morbid feeling and unreasonable prejudice. I have everything but good health. I still rejoice that this letter will find you in good old Connecticut, thrice blessed. Oh, had I the wings of a dove, I would be there too. Give my love to Mary H., I remember well how gently she used to speak to and smile on that forlorn old daddy that boarded at your house one summer. It was associating with her that first put the idea into my head of saying something to people who were not agreeable, and of saying something when I had nothing to say, as is generally the case on such occasions." Again she writes to the same friend, quote, "'Your letter, my dear G., I have just received, and read through three times. "'Now for my meditations upon it. "'What a woman of the world you are grown! "'How good it would be for me to be put into a place "'which so breaks up and precludes thought! "'Thought, intense emotional thought, has been my disease. "'How much good it might do me to be where I could not but be thoughtless! "'Now, Georgiana, let me copy for your delectation a list of matters that i have jotted down for consideration at a teacher's meeting to be held to-morrow night it runneth as follows just here about quills and papers on the floor forming classes drinking in the entry cold water mind you giving leave to speak recess bell etc etc you are tired i see says gilpin so am i and i spare you I have just been hearing a class of little girls recite, and telling them a fairy story which I had to spin out as it went along, beginning with once upon a time there was, etc., in the good old-fashioned way of stories. Recently I have been reading the life of Madame de Stal and Corinne. I have felt an intense sympathy with many parts of that book, and with many parts of her character. But in America feelings vehement and absorbing like hers become still more deep morbid and impassioned, by the constant habits of self-government which the rigid forms of our society demand. They are repressed, and they burn inward till they burn the very soul, leaving only dust and ashes. It seems to me the intensity with which my mind has thought and felt on every subject presented to it has had this effect. It has withered and exhausted it, and though young I have no sympathy with the feelings of youth all that is enthusiastic all that is impassioned in admiration of nature of writing of character in devotional thought and emotion or in the emotions of affection i have felt with vehement and absorbing intensity felt till my mind is exhausted and seems to be sinking into deadness half of my time i am glad to remain in listless vacancy to busy myself with trifles since thought is pain and emotion is pain during the winter of eighteen thirty-three thirty-four, the young school teacher became so distressed at her own mental listlessness that she made a vigorous effort to throw it off. She forced herself to mingle in society, and stimulated by the offer of a prize of $50 by Mr. James Hall, editor of the Western Monthly, a newly established magazine, for the best short story, she entered into the competition. Her story, which was entitled Uncle Lot, afterwards republished in The Mayflower, was by far the best submitted, and was awarded the prize without hesitation. This success gave a new direction to her thoughts, gave her an insight into her own ability, and so encouraged her that from that time on she devoted most of her leisure moments to writing. Her literary efforts were further stimulated at this time by the Congenial Society of the Semicolon Club, a little social circle that met on alternate weeks at Mr. Samuel Foote's and Dr. Drake's. The name of the club originated with a roundabout and rather weak bit of logic set forth by one of its promoters. He said, quote, You know that in Spanish Columbus is called Colón. Now he who discovers a new pleasure is certainly half as great as he who discovers a new continent. Therefore, if Colon discovered a continent, we who have discovered in this club a new pleasure should at least be entitled to the name of semicolons. So semicolons they became, and remained for some years. At some meetings compositions were read, and at others nothing was read, but the time was passed in a general discussion of some interesting topic previously announced. Among the members of the club were Professor Stowe, unsurpassed in biblical learning, Judge James Hall, editor of the Western Monthly, General Edward King, Mrs. Peters, afterwards founder of the Philadelphia School of Design, Miss Catherine Beecher, Mrs. Carolyn Lee Hence, E. P. Cranch, Dr. Drake, S. P. Chase, and many others who afterwards became prominent in their several walks of life in one of her letters to miss may mrs stowe describes one of her methods for entertaining the members of the semicolon as follows quote, i am wondering as what i shall do next i have been writing a piece to be read next monday evening at uncle sam's soire the semicolon it is a letter purporting to be from dr johnson i have been stilting about in his style so long that it is a relief to me to come down to the jog of common english now i think of it i will just give you a history of my campaign in this circle my first piece was a letter from bishop butler written in his outrageous style of parentheses and fogification. my second a satirical essay on the modern uses of language this i shall send to you as some of the gentlemen it seems took a fancy to it and requested leave to put it in the western magazine and so it is in print it is ascribed to catherine or i don't know that i should have let it go i have no notion of appearing in propria person the next piece was a satire on certain members who are getting very much into the way of joking on the worn-out subjects of matrimony and old maid and old bachelorism i therefore wrote a set of legislative enactments purporting to be from the ladies of the society forbidding all such allusions in future it made some sport at the time. I try not to be personal, and to be courteous, even in satire. But I have written a piece this week that is making me some disquiet. I did not like it that there was so little that was serious and rational about the reading. So I conceived the design of writing a set of letters, and throwing them in as being the letters of a friend. I wrote a letter this week for the first of the set, easy not very sprightly describing an imaginary situation a house in the country a gentleman and lady mr and mrs howard as being pious literary and agreeable i threw into the letter a number of little particulars and incidental allusions to give it the air of having been really a letter i meant thus to give myself an opportunity for the introduction of different subjects and the discussion of different characters in future letters i meant to write on a great number of subjects in future cousin elizabeth only was in the secret uncle samuel and sarah Elliot were not to know yesterday morning i finished my letter smoked it to make it look yellow tore it to make it look old directed it and scratched out the direction postmarked it with red ink sealed it and broke the seal all this to give credibility to the fact of its being a real letter then i enclosed it in an envelope stating that it was a part of a set which had incidentally fallen into my hands this envelope was written in a scrawny scrawly gentleman's hand i put it into the office in the morning directed to mrs samuel e foote and then sent word to sis that it was coming so that she might be ready to enact the part well the description took uncle sam examined it and pronounced ex cathedra that it must have been a real letter mr green the gentleman who reads declared that it must have come from mrs hall and elucidated the theory by spelling out the names and dates which i had erased which of course he accommodated to his own tastes but then what makes me feel uneasy is that elizabeth after reading it did not seem to be exactly satisfied she thought it had too much sentiment too much particularity of incident she did not exactly know what she was afraid that it would be criticised unmercifully now elizabeth has a tact and quickness of perception that i trust to and her remarks have made me uneasy enough i am unused to being criticised and don't know how i shall bear it in eighteen thirty three mrs Stowe first had the subject of slavery brought to her personal notice by taking a trip across the river from cincinnati into kentucky in company with miss dutton one of the associate teachers in the western institute they visited an estate that afterwards figured as that of colonel shelby in uncle tom's cabin and here the young authoress first came into contact with the negro slaves of the south in speaking many years afterwards of this visit miss dutton said quote, harriet did not seem to notice anything in particular that happened but sat much of the time as though abstracted in thought when the negroes did funny things and cut up capers she did not seem to pay the slightest attention to them Afterwards, however, in reading Uncle Tom, I recognized scene after scene of that visit, portrayed with the most minute fidelity, and knew at once where the material for that portion of the story had been gathered. End quote. At this time, however, Mrs. Stowe was more deeply interested in the subject of education than in that of slavery, as is shown by the following extract from one of her letters to Miss May, who was herself a teacher. She says, quote, we mean to turn over the west by means of model schools in this its capital we mean to have a young ladies school of about fifty or sixty a primary school of little girls of the same amount and then a primary school for boys we have come to the conclusion that the work of teaching will never be rightly done till it passes into female hands this is especially true with regard to boys to govern boys by moral influences requires tact and talent and versatility it requires also the same division of labor that female education does but men of tact versatility talent and piety will not devote their lives to teaching they must be ministers and missionaries and all that and while there is such a thrilling call for action in this way every man who is merely teaching feels as if he were a hercules with a distaff ready to spring to the first trumpet that calls him away as for division of labor men must have salaries that can support wife and family and of course a revenue would be required to support a requisite number of teachers if they could be found then if men have more knowledge they have less talent at communicating it nor have they the patience the long-suffering and gentleness necessary to superintend the formation of character we intend to make these principles understood and ourselves to set the example of what females can do in this way you see that first-rate talent is necessary for all that we mean to do, especially for the last, because here we must face down the prejudices of society, and we must have exemplary success to be believed. We want original, planning minds, and you do not know how few there are among females, and how few we can command of those that exist. End quote during the summer of eighteen thirty four the young teacher and writer made her first visit east since leaving new england two years before its object was mainly to be present at the graduation of her favorite brother henry ward from amherst college the earlier part of this journey was performed by means of stage to toledo and thence by steamer to buffalo a pleasant bit of personal description and also of impressions of niagara seen for the first time on this journey are given in a letter sent back to cincinnati during its progress in it she says of her fellow-travellers then there was a portly rosy clever mr smith or jones or something like that and a new orleans girl looking like distraction as far as dress is concerned but with the prettiest language and softest intonations in the world and one of those faces which while you say it isn't handsome keeps you looking all the time to see what it can be that is so pretty about it then there was miss b an independent good-natured do-as-i-please sort of a body who seemed of perpetual motion from morning till night poor miss d said when we stopped at night oh dear i suppose lydia will be fiddling about her room till morning and we shall not one of us sleep then by way of contrast there was a mr mitchell the most gentlemanly obliging man that ever changed his seat forty times a day to please a lady oh yes he could ride outside or oh certainly he could ride inside he had no objection to this or that or the other indeed it was difficult to say what could come amiss to him he speaks in a soft, quiet manner, with something of a drawl, using very correct, well-chosen language, and pronouncing all his words with carefulness, has everything in his dress and travelling appointments, comme il faut, and seems to think there is abundant time for everything that is to be done in this world, without, as he says, an unnecessary excitement. Before the party had fully discovered his name, he was usually designated as the Obliging Gentleman, or that gentleman who is so accommodating. Yet our friend withal is of Irish extraction, and I have seen him roused to talk with both hands and a dozen words in a breath. He fell into a little talk about abolition and slavery with our good Mr. Jones, a man whose mode of reasoning consists in repeating the same sentence at regular intervals as long as you choose to answer it. This man, who was finally convinced that negroes were black, used it as an irrefragable argument to all that could be said, and at last began to deduce from it that they might just as well be slaves as anything else, and so he proceeded till all the philanthropy of our friend was aroused, and he sprung up all lively and oratorical and gesticulary and indignant to my heart's content. I like to see a quiet man that can be roused." End quote in the same letter she gives her impressions of niagara as follows quote, i have seen it niagara and yet live oh where is your soul never mind though let me tell if i can what is unutterable elizabeth it is not like anything it did not look like anything i expected "'It did not look like a waterfall. "'I did not once think whether it was high or low, "'whether it roared or didn't roar, "'whether it equaled my expectations or not. "'My mind whirled off, it seemed to me, "'in a new strange world. "'It seemed unearthly, "'like the strange dim images in a revelation. "'I thought of the great white throne, "'the rainbow around it, "'the throne in sight like unto an emerald. "'Oh, and oh! THAT BEAUTIFUL WATER RISING LIKE MOONLIGHT, FALLING AS THE SOUL SINKS WHEN IT DIES, TO RISE REFINED, SPIRITUALIZED, AND PURE. THAT RAINBOW BREAKING OUT, TREMBLING, FADING, AND AGAIN COMING LIKE A BEAUTIFUL SPIRIT WALKING THE WATERS. OH, IT IS LOVELIER THAN IT IS GREAT. IT IS LIKE THE MIND THAT MADE IT GREAT, BUT SO VEILED IN BEAUTY THAT WE GAZE WITHOUT TERROR i felt as if i could have gone over with the waters it would be so beautiful a death there would be no fear in it i felt the rock tremble under me with a sort of joy i was so maddened that, that i could have gone too if it had gone while at the east she was greatly affected by hearing of the death of her friend eliza tyler the wife of professor stowe this lady was the daughter of dr bennett tyler president of the theological institute of connecticut at east windsor but twenty-five years of age at the time of her death a very beautiful woman gifted with a wonderful voice she was also possessed of a well-stored mind and a personal magnetism that made her one of the most popular members of the semicolon club in the proceedings of which she took an active interest her death left Professor Stowe, a childless widower, and his forlorn condition greatly excited the sympathy of her who had been his wife's most intimate friend. It was easy for sympathy to ripen into love, and after a short engagement, Harriet E. Beecher became the wife of Professor Calvin E. Stowe. Her last act before the wedding was to write the following note to the friend of her girlhood, Miss Georgiana May. Quote, January sixth, 1836. Well, my dear G., about half an hour more, and your old friend, companion, schoolmate, sister, etc., will cease to be Hattie Beecher, and change to nobody knows who. My dear, you are engaged, and pledged in a year or two to encounter a similar fate, and do you wish to know how you shall feel? Well, my dear, I have been dreading and dreading this time, and lying awake all last week, wondering how I should live through this overwhelming crisis, and lo, it has come, and I feel nothing at all. The wedding is to be altogether domestic, nobody present but my own brothers and sisters, and my old colleague, Mary Dutton, and as there is sufficiency of the ministry in our family, we have not even to call in the foreign aid of a minister. Sister Katie is not here, so she will not witness my departure from her care and guidance to that of another. None of my numerous friends and acquaintances who have taken such a deep interest in making the connection for me even know the day, and it will be all done and over before they know anything about it. Well, it is really a mercy to have this entire stupidity come over one at such a time. I should be crazy to feel as I did yesterday, or indeed to feel anything at all. But I inwardly vowed that my last feelings and reflections on this subject should be yours, and as I have not got any, it is just as well to tell you that. Well, here comes Mr. S., so farewell, and for the last time I subscribe, your own H.E.B. End of Chapter 3, Part 2 Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana